everyone, this is Nurse Mo and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. I am absolutely thrilled that you are sharing your precious free time with me today. And this is episode 120. Today we're going to be talking about proper delegation. So I know it might not sound like the most exciting topic, but I promise you, you guys, this will be on your exams. It will be something that you're expected to understand in clinical and show that you understand it. And it's definitely on the NCLEX as well. So before we hop into that, it is time for our listener shout out. And this shout out goes to CR Future RN. And this person says, I love this podcast. This podcast is my favorite resource to recommend to other nursing students. Nurse Mo is an expert at breaking down difficult concepts and explaining them in a way that just makes sense. Her pod quizzes are super helpful and the feedback after each question is such a confidence booster. So thank you so very much for taking the time to submit that review. It means so, so much to me. And if you guys want to be on a listener shout out, just go to wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review this podcast. And I may choose you to give a listener shout out to on an upcoming episode. So what this person is talking about, uh, the pod quizzes occasionally, I will insert questions at the end of the lesson to test your understanding. I have a few episodes that are fully pod quizzes, and I'm actually working on an app that I'm getting closer to every day, closer to releasing, and that app is basically about... I think it'll probably come out with 4,000 or more, but at least 4,000 flashcards for nursing students. Ultimately, it will have over 6,000, but I want to get that initial product out to you guys as soon as possible. So if you're interested in an app for nursing students so that you can test your knowledge with flashcards that are already done for you, then... I will have the link in the show notes for where you can go and get on the wait list for that so that when it is released, you are one of the first to know, okay? So today we're talking about proper delegation, assignment, and communication around all of that. So delegating is absolutely a key nursing skill that you are going to use a lot. You're going to use it in clinical. You're definitely going to use it when you're working as a nurse, and you'll even use it hypothetically on your exams. There'll be lots of questions about delegating safely and delegating appropriately. So why delegate in the first place? Why not just do everything yourself? Because if you're like me and you're a nurse and you're a complete control freak, it's often hard to give up control. But you will soon learn that nursing is a team sport and you've often got lots of amazing teammates to work with and you simply cannot do everything yourself. There's just, there's not time to do that and you shouldn't do that. Your skills are best suited doing the things that are a priority for you as the RN, whereas other things can be safely and appropriately delegated to others and that frees you up to focus on the things that you need to be focusing on while ensuring that your patients continue to get the care and the assistance that they need. So before we dive into delegating, let's first talk about the difference between licensed personnel 
and unlicensed personnel. So licensed personnel are those who have an actual license. So that would be the RN or the LPN. Some in, in some states, it's LVN. So unlicensed personnel, on the other hand, would be those who work in an assistive capacity to the RN, to the LVN or LPN. And while they may have a certification, and then many times they do, they're not licensed. So this could be a CNA, a certified nursing assistant. It could be an MA, a medical assistant. Um, in the hospital that I work at, they're called PCTs, patient care technicians. Could be a monitor tech. It could even be a phlebotomist. So there's lots of other teammates who are unlicensed, but their role is absolutely vital. So we have the licensed personnel, which is the RN or the LVN slash LPN, and then the unlicensed personnel, which is typically the CNA, the patient care tech, someone like that. So now let's look at the three levels of management in nursing leadership. So we have assigning, we have delegating, and we have supervising, and you need to understand the difference between all of these things. So assigning refers to the process of giving complete ownership of a task to someone else. So the perfect example of this is when the charge nurse makes the patient assignments for the shift. The charge nurse is not assuming care of the patient. He or she is assigning ownership to you for the patient, and you are assuming total responsibility. This is appropriate because you as a nurse, are licensed to assume care of the patient. It would not be appropriate to assign a patient to a patient care tech or a CNA, to an unlicensed personnel, okay? And then delegating is the process of giving someone else responsibility for a task. But here's the kicker, you guys. This is the key thing you need to understand. Even though you've assigned someone else responsibility, for the task, you as the licensed individual retain accountability for it. So that is why very clear communication is absolutely a key component of proper delegation. And we'll talk more about that in a bit. But the takeaway here is that even though you delegate a task and you give someone the responsibility to complete the task, you're still accountable for that task being done correctly uh, to being done to your standards, to being done completely, to being done at all. So there's a lot of communication and follow-up that goes with delegating, okay? You can't just delegate a task and then move on about your day and never revisit the result or confirm the completion of that. You absolutely have to circle back to confirm that the task was done, that it was done correctly, and all of those things, okay? That is key. And then supervising refers to the monitoring of how well others perform their duties. So you will be supervising all the tasks that you delegate, okay? So let's dive now into delegation itself because this is that key component. Though you will probably be talking about assigning and supervising, delegation is that core concept that you as a nurse have to understand. You cannot do everything yourself 
You also cannot delegate things that are inappropriate to delegate. So the first and the very most important thing to understand about delegating is that the task you delegate is dependent on a lot of different factors. And these factors are going to vary in every single situation. So as you determine if you're going to delegate a task, you're going to be thinking critically through a lot of different things to come to a decision if this delegation is appropriate or not. So those things in a general sense are, you know, what does the patient need? What tasks can that unlicensed individual do? Um, And that can vary based on their training, your facility's policies, and just general standards of practice. You also want to consider, is the patient stable? Is their condition predictable? Is their response to whatever intervention I'm delegating predictable? And then you also want to ask, is this delegation appropriate at this time? Um, Just because a delegation was appropriate yesterday, this morning, an hour ago, does not mean it's appropriate in this moment. You have to rethink through this decision tree every single time with every single delegation. So the American Nurses Association has identified five rights of delegation. So these five rights take all these factors into account, and these are the right task, the right circumstance, the right person, the right supervision, and the right communication. So for example, let's say your patient, Mr. Roberts, who came in for a hip replacement three days ago, he has dementia and he requires assistance with his meals. And the CNA fed him his breakfast, fed him his lunch and his dinner on post-op day one and had no issues at all. However, unfortunately, Mr. Roberts has suffered a stroke, which resulted in some mild dysphagia, some mild swallowing difficulty. He's been cleared by speech therapy, so they've come to see him. They've cleared him to eat a modified diet, like a pureed diet. It's now time for breakfast, which will be that first meal that Mr. Roberts has with his new diet after having his stroke. Is it appropriate to delegate this task of feeding Mr. Roberts to the CNA who fed him yesterday? So let's go through that decision-making process using that decision-making as outlined by the American Nurses Association. So the right task is that first component. Is this task appropriate for delegation? Do state regulations or your hospital policies support it? So this includes the Nurse Practice Act, which outlines the nurse's scope of practice as well. You you can't delegate a task to someone else that you yourself are unlicensed or unable to perform. So you look at the hospital policy, and it states that, yes, CNAs can feed patients. It's within my scope of practice to feed patients, so it is something I can delegate. But... That's not enough. We need to go further down the decision tree because there's more to the story than simply feeding a patient, right? Second, takes into account, is this the right circumstance? So this question asks you to consider if delegation is appropriate in this particular situation. 
Does that unlicensed individual have the necessary resources or supervision to perform the task? And more importantly, is the patient's condition predictable and stable? You cannot delegate a task to an unlicensed individual that requires assessment, that requires clinical judgment, evaluation, or problem solving. So all of that would come into play in a patient whose condition or response to an intervention is not predictable or not stable. So if the situation at hand involves any of those things, you could delegate it to another nurse to feed the patient, but you would not delegate this to someone who is unlicensed. So because that stroke and that new modified pureed diet are new things for Mr. Roberts, I would say his response to being fed breakfast, not yet predictable. Even though speech therapy cleared him for this diet, I want to see how he does today. I want to see how he does with a whole meal. If he gets tired, he's maybe not going to swallow as effectively. So I need to be there evaluating making clinical decisions, maybe even problem solving with Mr. Roberts. So this factor alone means it's not appropriate delegation. But let's go through the rest of the questions that the American Nurses Association wants you to consider when you're delegating. So the right person would be that next one. Have you chosen the proper individual to perform this task? So when you're looking at this, you're taking into account that individual, that unlicensed personnel, um, their knowledge, their competency related to this specific task. So for example, a brand new CNA who has not yet learned how to safely reposition patients, for example, using, you know, maybe your facility has a lift mechanism and they haven't been trained on that yet. They're not the right person to delegate that task to. As the nurse, the RN, or the LPN, it's up to you to determine if that unlicensed individual is properly trained and has demonstrated competency. So you always want to make sure that you delegate to the right person. And as you work with people, you'll quickly get to know their competency and their level of comfort with different tasks. You can always talk about it. You can always open that line of communication as well. And then that next component is the right supervision. Are you able to supervise this task? So that doesn't mean necessarily standing over their shoulder and watching, but you do need to um, be aware of that unlicensed individual's ability to perform the task well and safely and your ability to monitor for that. This includes evaluating the outcome of the task and intervening as necessary. So always remember that as the licensed individual, you are ultimately responsible for the patient, even when tasks are delegated. So I would say if you're not available to supervise this task and monitor the outcome, this would not be a safe or appropriate delegation. So let's say you're going to be off the unit for a couple of hours taking another patient down to an MRI. You would then not be readily available to supervise or intervene if needed. If that CNA got into a sticky situation with Mr. Roberts, you would not be there as a resource person to intervene and supervise. So in this case, the delegation to an unlicensed individual 
would be inappropriate. I would ask another nurse to please feed Mr. Roberts while I'm gone, maybe trade something for later in the afternoon that I would do for him or her. But having an unlicensed individual do this, absolutely not an appropriate delegation because of the inability for you to supervise. And then that fifth component is the right direction and communication. And you guys, this is probably the most important part. So when assigning a task, when delegating that task to someone else, you must provide clear instructions to the unlicensed personnel. So this includes describing the task so they know exactly what you want them to do, stating the objective or the goal of the task, and defining any limitations as well as your expectations for the task. So since we already know that we're not going to be delegating Mr. Jones breakfast to the CNA, let's say that we've delegated the task of getting another patient out of bed and into the chair or to the, you know, to the bathroom or the commode. So following the ANA's guidelines, you wouldn't simply ask the assistive personnel to get Mr. Jones out of bed. Okay, that's not describing the task. That's not stating the objective or defining limitations or expectations. That's not enough information. Instead, you might say something like, hey, Chelsea, could you help me for a little bit and get Mr. Jones out of bed to the chair? I'd like for him to use his walker and go no more than a distance of four feet. So make sure the chair is pretty close to the bed. Once he's in the chair, I'd like for you to set up his lunch tray and please alert me if he shows any difficulty with the activity or complaints of any shortness of breath. He did fine with it this morning, so I don't anticipate him having any difficulty. So you see how that statement is much clearer. It sets the CNA up for success with this task. It defines what the task is. It says the goal of the task, right? We're going to get him to the chair. We're going to set up his lunch tray. And it defines any limitations like, I don't want him walking more than four feet. And I want him to use his walker. And then it also has my expectation. My expectation is that he'll have no issues. And that way the CNA knows that if that expectation is not met, that's something to come and tell me about immediately. So it's also a good idea to ask that assistive personnel if they have any questions before moving on with that delegated task. So now that we've delegated a task, what happens next? So it's lunchtime now, and you fed Mr. Roberts his breakfast, and he did fine. He did great. He was a champion. You've now delegated his meal, his lunch, to the CNA. Here's what we need to do to make sure that this delegation continues to be appropriate for both Mr. Roberts and the CNA. Remember, delegating is a dynamic activity. Just because an activity was deemed fine uh, prior or on another instance doesn't always mean that it's always going to be that way. It's always a dynamic, very fluid activity. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to ensure that the CNA is capable of performing this task. Have we observed this particular CNA feeding patients before, especially feeding patients with dysphagia? Let's say my hospital provides a special class to CNAs on feeding patients with dysphagia. Have they taken this class? Have they demonstrated competency? 
We always want to make sure we have the right person performing the test. This is part of those ANA guidelines. And then we're also going to make sure that the CNA knows to alert me if there's any unexpected outcome. So again, when you're doing that communication, you're going to talk about the limitations and the expectations. So the expectations would be that Mr. Roberts eats at least 50% of his meal or at least 75% of his meal, shows no difficulty with swallowing his prescribed pureed diet, has no um, increase in shortness of breath, has no unexpected coughing, anything like that. This is part of our effective communication and giving those clear directions. So once the task is complete, the CNA has fed Mr. Roberts his lunch you're not done yet. You still have work to do. You need to now evaluate how that patient responded to the intervention, how well the CNA performed the task, and this is very important as a nurse leader, identify any opportunities for improvement that you can share with the CNA because you want them and they also want themselves to always be improving on the job just as you do for yourself. Okay, so now we've talked a lot about delegating. Let's talk a little bit about assigning because this will be on your exams as well. So as mentioned earlier, a charge nurse making a patient assignment is an excellent example of this type of nursing management. So the charge nurse does not assume responsibility, does not assume care for the patient. Instead, it falls upon the individual this task is assigned to, the RN or the LPN. Now, a lot of factors will come into play with making assignments, such as staffing ratios, skills of the nurses that are scheduled for that day. For example, if a patient requires something like CRRT, which is a type of uh, renal replacement therapy, the charge nurse cannot assign that patient to someone who has not been trained on how to do that and demonstrated competency. So a lot of things will go into play when making those assignments. And, you know, sometimes things happen and assignments are made that are unsafe. So I want you to know that if you have been given a patient assignment that you feel is unsafe, there are steps to take and things that you can do to help protect yourself and your patient. So when a nurse feels that he or she has been given an inappropriate or an unsafe patient assignment, you can't just refuse the assignment without following the proper steps. Doing that is considered patient abandonment and could cost you your license. It could cost you your job. So if you feel you've been given an unsafe assignment, the first step typically to do, and this may be different based on the state that you live in. It may be different based on your hospital's policies or if you're in a union, your union policy. So of course, always defer to that. This is a general guideline. But the main thing is to bring it to the attention of the charge nurse. So perhaps the charge nurse just isn't aware. Maybe they didn't get a good update from the prior nurse. Maybe they're not aware of what's going on with the patient. So perhaps the charge nurse has paired you um, with uh, a patient who requires one-to-one -one supervision and a patient who is hemodynamically unstable. So this would be a very unsafe assignment, right? So you're either going to be in the, the 
the room of the patient who requires one-to-one supervision, maybe they are constantly pulling off their oxygen or constantly getting out of bed or they're on a, a 5150, they are in suicide precautions. That patient requires one-to-one within direct line of sight supervision at all times. So then you couldn't leave the room to go take care of your patient whose blood pressure is 70 over 40. So that's an unsafe assignment because you simply cannot be in two places at the same time. And when you have two patients that require very close monitoring, very close assessment, very close intervention, that's just physically impossible. So by going to the charge nurse, you can discuss a change in assignment so that your assignment becomes more safe. For example, Pairing that unstable patient whose blood pressure is 70 over 40 with a patient who maybe is just waiting on orders to be transferred to the floor and who does not require constant supervision or even that frequent of intervention would be a much safer assignment. But let's say the charge nurse refuses to change your assignment. You would then need to go up the chain of command. So in most cases, that would be your assistant nurse manager. If your charge nurse is your assistant nurse manager, then the next person is the director of your unit. After that, it could be the house supervisor or even the director of nursing. So let's say you still don't get a resolution to this assignment concern that you have. There's something called an assignment despite objection form, an ADO. You would want to fill out that form. Again, if your union, your your hospital, your state requires a different type of form, you're going to use that. But an ADO form is pretty common. You fill out that form, submit a copy to your supervisor. You submit one to your union rep if you have one, and you always want to keep a copy for yourself. This is not something that goes into the patient's chart. This is something that is for your facility and your union if you have one. If you have an assignment that is truly, truly unsafe and your employer does not do anything to rectify that situation, this form is basically your documentation that your employer has not corrected a potentially dangerous situation. It's an effort to protect yourself personally should there be an adverse outcome for the patients in question, okay? Hopefully, it would never get to this step. I've been really lucky and worked in places where if I've had a concern about an assignment, the charge nurse has always been really receptive and quick to make those changes. And usually that unsafe assignment happens because they just didn't get an adequate update from the prior nurse and didn't realize how um, sick or how much intervention assessment monitoring a patient needed. So let's go through a couple of scenarios to solidify the concepts that we've talked about. Your patient has recently had his hip replaced, and he's not even gotten out of bed yet. It's the morning after surgery, and the MD wants that patient out of bed for his meals. Very common order for the MD to write. They want those patients getting up and getting around, and one of the best ways to do that is just to simply be out of bed for meals. That gets them out of bed three times a day, right? So the breakfast tray comes for the patient. You're busy in a room down the hall giving discharge instructions for another patient. So do you delegate this task? So think through those things that we talked about earlier and think about it for a moment. And then would you delegate this task? 
So I would probably lean towards no. The only person I would trust getting a fresh hip replacement post-op out of bed uh, without my direct supervision would probably be another nurse or the physical therapist. I would not delegate this task to a CNA because it doesn't really meet that criteria for a safe delegation. Yes, the patient's stable. Let's say he's stable, but his condition is unpredictable and his response to this is unpredictable because he just hasn't done it yet. I would want to be there for that first transfer from bed to chair to see how he does, to evaluate, assess, intervene as necessary, like all those nursey things that you guys do to determine the patient's response and ensure his safety and then ensure the future safe delegation. So maybe at um, his next meal, his lunch, you know, depending on how he does with breakfast, maybe for lunch, I'm totally comfortable with Janet, the CNA, getting him out of bed, okay? But for that first one, when it's unpredictable and uncertain, I need to evaluate, I may need to problem solve, I need to be there. Okay, here's another scenario. Uh, You take your patient's blood sugar and you notice that it's 55, okay? That's low. And the patient is also complaining of feeling lightheaded, feeling nauseous, feeling a little jittery. So this patient is exhibiting signs of a symptomatic hypoglycemia. She's following commands. She's able to swallow. I need to give pain medication in another room. Do I delegate to the CNA to get this patient some orange juice or some apple juice? I'm going to say no again. And why not? Why wouldn't we want to delegate this to the CNA? Well, first of all, of course, a CNA is perfectly competent to go get a patient a juice, open the juice, hand them the juice, and have them drink the juice. But this patient's condition is not stable, and it's unpredictable. So, of course, giving a patient juice in a hypoglycemia episode where they're alert and following commands, you know, based on your hospital's policy and protocol is absolutely appropriate. The patient is having a symptomatic hypoglycemia, and Her condition needs to be evaluated by the RN. She needs to be assessed after she drinks her juice. And because of that assessment factor, this is not an appropriate delegation. So I hope that helps you guys kind of understand why delegation is such a necessary component, why it's so important that you delegate appropriately, and some of the things that you'll think through. So I want you to kind of have that in your head because you're going to come across either situations on the job, if you're already working as a nurse, situations in clinical where you will be delegating to unlicensed personnel as though you were the nurse definitely on exams. You're going to get asked a lot of questions about this, and I want you to be ready. So that does it for us today. Next week, you guys, we're going to be diving into a pharmacology topic. I know you guys love pharmacology and getting help with that class. So we're going to be talking about an anti-seizure medication, an anti-convulsant called phenytoin. Phenytoin, which I have a hard time saying, but I am 94% sure that's the correct, correct pronunciation. So I will see you back here next week to talk about that. See you then. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.